Because episode 125 live and underway wow. here on ESPN Plus alongside Hercules Gomez. Hi, I'm Sebastian Salazar. Herc, how was your Mother's Day weekend, my man? Busy. Kids, my man, but it was beautiful. <laughs> uh, beautiful wife, beautiful mother, so everything's all good. How about yourself? Great, great as well. You know, uh, of course, Mother's Day here in the United States is on Sunday. In Mexico, it's always May 10th, no matter, no matter right. what day of the week it falls on. So Tomorrow. we are sandwiched between Mother's Day here, which is, which is appropriate because this is one mother of a show. We got a lot to get to. We got Christian Pulisic, Herc, back in the starting lineup for Chelsea. Some interesting reasons as to maybe, maybe why. We got a wild weekend down in Liga MX, huh? in the repechaje round. Craziness down there. Late drama and lots of penalties. We also have lots to discuss from the NWSL Challenge Cup Final. Julie Foudy just moments away from joining us here on Football Americas. But we got to start, Herc, and I feel like we do this almost every week here on the show, and I'm sorry, it's not my choice, uh, with more injury news. Uh, this time about Miles Robinson, the 25-year-old center back for Atlanta United, and the U.S. men's national team, Herc, ruptured his left Achilles tendon in the first half of Atlanta's 4-1 win over Chicago on Saturday. It was, as you saw right there, a non-contact injury, not the first we've seen, by the way, on the turf at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Robinson was to undergo surgery on Monday. We are, of course, six months from the World Cup. That makes it extremely unlikely that Robinson will be on the team for Qatar. Herc, let's break this down. We'll start with the impact, not on the national team necessarily, but on the player himself, which can only, I think, be described as devastating. That's what it is, devastating. And, and you saw the look on Miles Robinson's face. The moment it happened, he knew exactly what had happened. He was motioning to that injured Achilles tendon. He even did the little motion like this. That's when that little tendon rolls up into your calf. You know exactly Ouch. what that feeling is. He knew exactly what was going to happen. Uh, it's devastating for the player because he was easily, until the emergence of Walker Zimmerman, the best defender that the U.S. men's national team had had on both sides of the ball. You know, instinctive, uh, very good presence uh, when it comes to playing out. Doesn't overcomplicate him himself. He's got good speed. He's a good aerial presence on both sides of the ball. He's goal dangerous, and he happened to be one of Greg Berhalter's confidants. Uh, and I repeat, until the emergence of Walker Zimmerman, he was the man. He was the lock there. So this is a massive blow for Miles Robinson, who, who had the World Cup in sight. Yeah, it's brutal timing, right? And I think you're, you're totally correct to point out the World Cup. Ah, um, he's going to miss a World Cup. But then I think of just like the point in his career generally. Uh, he's 25 years old. By the time he recovers from this, we're assuming he'll be 26. He's going to miss a World Cup. He's going to miss an amazing opportunity for that, that platform, that springboard potentially for a move to Europe that comes with the World Cup. And I think with an Achilles injury, you would know this better than me, but I feel like even with ACLs now, we kind of assume that guys are going to come back right. as they were. Um, with Achilles, man, I feel like we're, we're not so sure of that. I, I use the word devastated. It wasn't my word. I actually stole it from Greg Berhalter, the national team manager. He said they were devastated for Miles. And to your point, and these are Greg Berhalter's words, he says, quote, he established, established himself as a top performer last year and in World Cup qualifying. So I think that's where we got to go next, right? What's the impact here on the national team? Because it looks like they're losing 
what would have been a surefire starter for Qatar. Yeah, and it's not the first time. I'm just going to read off a couple names on top of my head, um, and I don't want to be an alarmist here, but U.S. men's national team fans all know all too well what it's like to have a promising young player mm. go down that injury path. We've seen it with John O'Brien. We've seen it with Stuart Holden. We've seen it with Charlie Davies. Uh, you know, it, it, it'd be a shame if, if he can't get back on track and, and go to that promising stage of, of what is still, I, I hope, a very, very promising career ahead of him. Now, the U.S. men's national team, that's a starter you're missing. That is a bona fide starter you are missing. And alongside Walker Zimmerman, it was one of the few guarantees your team had of you being successful. Uh, before the Mexico game, Era Estadio Azteca, we saw some crazy stat about how good these two were together. I think it was like something like six games where they didn't receive a goal and the team was on a winning streak because of this center back duo, this tandem, how good they were together. Well, now you're taking 50% of that tandem out. You're you're leaving it up to Walker Zimmerman, and hopefully whoever comes in can can do as good of a job as Miles Robbins, who for the better part of, I would say, that octagonal was, mm-hmm. was flawless. At the end, he faltered a little, but this was a very good player, very important player for Greg Berhalter and his scheme. 14 games in qualifying for the U.S. Miles Robinson started 11 of them. So there you have it, just how big a role uh, he played in qualifying. I think it's safe to say we, we've talked about injuries in this group a lot. I think this is the biggest injury yet. I mean, it's easy to say that because it's the first one that we know is going to cost you right. a guy in the World Cup. But I also say it because of position. Because center back's the spot where you want chemistry, right? You want those guys. And of all the questions that Greg Berhalter had, you thought pretty much you had that position, which at the beginning of qualifying was a huge question mark, right? I feel like you pretty much felt you had that position locked down with Zimmerman um, and Robinson. And now it opens up another competition, right? So let's go down that road. Uh, obviously, the depth chart now for the U.S. at that position needs to be updated. So, Herc, give us your, your top five U.S. men's national team center backs now that Miles Robinson is, again, we say this most likely out of the picture for the Qatar World Cup. Yeah, people expect him to come back in, what, six months. I know we've seen other examples in, in, in other sports, but it's going to be very difficult. So let's not hold our breath there. Here's my depth chart. Uh, before you pick it apart, let's just address... The elephant in the room. Okay, mm-hmm. Walker Zimmerman, I think it's going to be number one on a majority, okay? You can slice up two however you want. I think Chris Richards is the man. But the elephant in the room here, John Brooks needs to be back in the equation. Stop with the Greg Berhalter won't take him. Greg Berhalter's, he's not in his selection. Throw that out the window. Now more than ever, you need the experience of John Brooks. Put the pettiness aside. I don't care if it's on both sides. I don't care if it's on one side. Put that aside, all that BS, and it's John Brooks right now. You need to facilitate something for John Brooks to come back into the organization, into this program, and you need to fast track him because he could be your starter or he could be a very important cog or a very important piece come World Cup time. You no longer have the luxury of just saying talented players are out the window. Couple quick, quick questions here for you, Herc. Who is in the driver's seat to pair with Zimmerman from the list that I'm looking at? Is it Chris Richards? Yes, it's Chris Richards. Okay. It's Chris Richards, and you can slice up Mark McKenzie and Aaron Long there, four and five, however you want. Cameron Carter Vickers in. You can put uh, Eric Palmer Brown. You can put in a Matt Miazga. Whatever you want, I don't care. Okay? <laughs> it's one, two, three right now that I am worried about. Okay. All that other stuff is subjective, and people love to break them down and love to do the power rankings of whatever. I don't care. Concentrate on one, two, three. 
because those, those are going to be the ones who are going to be your main cogs, your most important players come World Cup time. You already have a situation where you don't know who your nine is. Already have a situation where you, you don't probably know who your goalkeeper is. Now it's the center back tandem. Mm. U.S. men's national team fans can't catch a break. Another quick question here, because the reality is that John Brooks, whether you want him in or not, may not be under consideration, right? Might, might not be in this list. So if you had to take Brooks out, and I'll give, you some, I'll give you some options here for who you can replace him with, other guys that have been in or around the pool, uh, who's getting that fifth and last spot in your top five? You got names like Eric Palmer Brown. You got Cameron Carter-Vickers, who I think you mentioned. Somebody like Tim Ream, who, like it or not, will be a Premier League player next year. He just got re-upped at Fulham. Probably Cameron Carter-Vickers uh, or Matt Miazga would be my, mm. my two guys. But why, Seb? Why are you trying to take John Brooks out, Seb? What don't you like about John Brooks, Seb? <laughs> no, I don't, it's nothing that I don't like about John Brooks. I'm just looking at the reality of what the national team man manager has not just done. Let's look at the reality, though, Seb. With his call-ups, but what he said. He his just told us a week ago. His dropping like flies. That is the reality. The only context we need here. He just told us a week ago he would rather take a look at Cameron Carter-Vickers um, than John Brooks. Look, we will leave the center back discussion for now. Let's talk about the surface, Herc, on which Miles, on which Miles Robinson was injured on Saturday. That artificial turf at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. And as I mentioned, it's not the first time that we've seen it, either on turf in MLS this past week. We saw it in Seattle with Joao Paulo, or specifically in Atlanta. We saw it not in Achilles, but a knee injury with Brad Guzan earlier this year. Achilles. It was how, Achilles. Okay. How big of a problem, Herc, how big of a problem is turf for Major League Soccer? It's a, it's a huge problem because uh, perception is something that Major League Soccer is dealing with today, right? And I don't know one player that will vouch for playing on turf. They may say something political, whatever, but nobody, no player likes playing on turf. I've had major knee surgeries myself. If I'm on turf, I feel like I'm on skates. It's a very difficult task. Now we've seen stars, Thierry Henry, Drogba, Slatan. all of a sudden, when they're here in Major League Soccer and they're forced to, forced to play on turf, and by the way, Major League Soccer has, at least to my count, five venues that are turf venues. When they have to play on turf, when it's on the schedule, mysteriously, he's not available. Mysteriously, uh, he's got back soreness. Mysteriously, something they don't play. If these stars, whether they're past their prime or they're heading into their prime or whether they're looking to the future, start having a second guess because of logistics, the turf, about whether they want to be in Major League Soccer, this is a bad thing. Forget what the owners say. Forget what FIFA says. Forget what anybody will try to sell you. Turf is terrible, and it really hurts these players. Don't just take my word for it. Do some research on the said research. It's more, it's more of a probability that these players will get injured on turf. Yeah, I'm thinking I'll, you're talking about from the player's perspective, totally valid, but from an image perspective, too, and this is, I mean, it's an obvious word to pick, but it looks cheap. It looks plastic, right? Well, that's why you they do it, Seb. Yeah you, don't, they, yeah, you don't see it, though, in the best leagues in the world. That's what I'm talking about. And I think it's, there's also a point to be made here about team and individual team ambition, right? Because where do we see these turf surfaces? With the exception of Portland, it's not in the soccer-specific stadiums. It's in the places where you have an MLS team playing in an NFL stadium. And so we give a lot of credit when we see the big crowds in Seattle and Atlanta and Charlotte. But there's a price that you pay with that. You don't have control over your facility. And at the end of the day, Herc, you're forced to play on turf. And so these other teams, like a Minnesota United, which, by the way, if they can go grow grass in Minnesota, you can grow grass anywhere. 
They're investing in their players. They're just doing it in a different way. They're focused on keeping them safe as opposed to spending it on great players, bringing them in, and then having what you see in these places, which is great players getting injured on turf. Final word, quickly to you. You said it best. I mean, I've got nothing to say. Nobody likes playing on turf. I don't think the fans enjoy watching it on turf. If the sun comes out, if it's not wet, it slows it down. It's a horrible product. Nobody wins. Mm. Uh, more injury news now, though not to do with turf. Although, I don't know, maybe this could have to do with turf as well. It's from Switzerland. Jordan Pifak was subbed off this weekend in the 34th minute of Young Boys game on Saturday. We got to start putting these American guys in bubble wrap, Herc. Yeah, but uh, there are only three games left in the Swiss League. My man's mm-hmm. up by 22 goals. Second place is 18. Mm-hmm. He's only got a four-goal lead with three games left. Let's hope he comes back and seals that. Yeah, might be able to do it without even playing. Nice uh, nice cushion there. He's got 22 goals in league play, 27 goals across all competitions. We'll keep an eye on Peacock and that injury. Let's run it back. <laughs> we do this literally every week, almost every show now. Haji Wright with another goal, his 13th of the season for Antalya Spor in a 3-2 win over Konya Spor in Turkey. I'm starting to root for this kid. I'm yep. starting to pull for him. I really am. I love a good story. I love one. 13th league goal, six straight game that my man Haji has scored. Jesus Ferreira with his seventh goal of the season for FC Dallas, and he passes his father, David, on the Dallas all-time scoring list. Yeah, that's pretty cool passing your dad. Uh, cool. But my man's leading the league in goals scored, and he's not a nine. He's tied right now with Jesus Jimenez of Toronto FC and Sebastian Driussi of Austin FC. He looks like a line nine to me. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of guys who are scoring goals in the U.S. men's national team pool. Here's another one, Paul Ariola, one of two for Dallas in a 2-0 victory over Seattle. Yeah. Could you imagine what D.C. would be like if they still had Paul? Uh, mm. This is uh, FC Dallas's gain. FC Dallas quietly uh, putting something together. Uh, my pick for surprise team of the year, by the way. Absolutely. Worth noting Seattle in that game with a very young lineup, of course. Yeah. Uh, CCL and Open Hangover Cup, lineup. Uh, Exactly, for, for Seattle this week. Center backs, Aaron Long with a goal for the Red Bulls against Portland. Okay, Aaron Long, one of those players coming back mm-hmm. from uh, Achilles injury, uh, from a torn Achilles, and I believe it took him close to a year, and it's good to see him back on the scoreboard. People forget, before the injury, he was the most captain player for Greg Berhalter, so he was definitely a big part of Greg Berhalter's plan. Aaron Long, scoring goals, always help you get noticed by the national team manager. This might as well, Alan Sonora. Speaking of MLS dads, his father, Diego, played for Dallas back in the day as well. The Argentine-American with another golazo for Independiente. Another free kick. This kid's got a lefty on him. Look at the culture on that ball. Look at the dip. Worthy of a call-up, surely, sometime in the not-too-distant future. Johan Gomez, remember, our buddy from the Chum Chat podcast, getting it done in the German third tier with Zwickau. Oh, caught the keeper. Caught him cheating. Keeper thought he was going to go uh, far post. Gave him the hips, gave him the eyes. Watch this. There you go. Boom. A lot of power. Oh, goalkeeper. He'll take that. Johan, Chum Chat, man. I was on Chum Chat not too long ago. That's right. I think they just uh, released the episode. I'm sure they're getting all sorts of downloads. Axel Perez on the USU-17s against Belgium. This is dirty. He flicks it up to himself. Forget about the stature. A lot of people are talking about his stature. This is the X Inner Miami product, Academy product. What's he play for? Olympique Lyon right now? Look at this. He's going to flick it up to himself and then the volley. Oh, Mm. this is just dirty. The U.S. won the game 3-0. They're playing in a tournament in Portugal. They'll play Portugal 
uh, in that tournament tomorrow. Changing gears totally here, a consortium led by American Todd Bowley, yes, the LA Dodgers owner, has won a bid to acquire Premier League club Chelsea. The sticker price hurt, eh, not too shabby, $5.25 billion. The sale is expected to be completed late in May. That's good news for Chelsea fans ahead of the summer transfer window. By our count, I think this is what, at least 10 teams now with at least some percentage of American ownership in the Premier League. Herc, what do you think is the American takeover? Good news? or bad news for the Premier League? <laughs> it depends how you want to look at it. If you're a fan, it's probably bad news because mm. oftentimes they view these teams as assets. They view them as investments. And what you want for your set asset or your, for, or your investment is stability. Not necessarily to win. You want stability. You want to uh, reduce those red numbers. And with that is not the intention of building a super squad and trying to win. It's with the intention of staying afloat. It's with the intention of being financially solvent. And, and with that comes... Sometimes these teams like, well, yes, an Arsenal and their Arsenal fans aren't too pleased. And Manchester United and Manchester United fans aren't too pleased with the American takeover. But then oftentimes we see other leagues and we see Serie A and we see Chinese investment or we see uh, foreign investment like the Middle East investment when there are actual uh, states who are taking over these teams. Mm. And it's not exactly what you want for football. You may gain a little bit more of that culture or that drive, but you lose what was that once football in essence. So it, it, it all depends what you want. But for a lot of these fans, American investors uh, aren't a good thing. Generally, Herc, I would agree with you. I think it's bad. And for the same reasons, I would say MLS ownership that's not local is bad. I just generally think local ownership is always going to be better for these teams. Now, the question is, can you find local ownership? And that's the reality when you're talking about these huge clubs. I mean, what was that sticker price? $5.25 yeah. billion? There's only so many groups, peoples, what was, the, what was the term they used? Consortiums in the world that can afford that. And, and look at who, who, what are your other options? I mean, we look at maybe a, a Manchester City, a PSG, a Newcastle, as you said, you know, states that are running it, or where was Chelsea before under yeah. Roman Abramovich, right? An oligarch, and, and obviously true. those two can be problematic as well. So I think for, for fans in England, I can absolutely see why they'd be disappointing. There's the examples of, of Arsenal and Manchester United. You could also point to American-owned examples in Liverpool. Liverpool and Leeds that have yeah. been very successful, right? So there's there's arguments to be made on, on both sides of this thing. What I always come away from these, these announcements is, what if this investment stayed home, right? We hear of all of these billions of dollars going not just to the Premier League. Earlier today, we saw it, uh, a Syria, an, an American firm investing in Atalanta, $36 million in, in Syria. What would happen to not MLS, but soccer in this country if those hundreds, hundreds of millions of dollars were poured in here? And the greater question is, why aren't they happening? Why is it so attractive for these businessmen who are American to take their dollars overseas? Why isn't it so attractive to invest in the USL or Major League Soccer, but it is to invest in the Premier League if you can, is your question. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm saying, why do we see... And I'll give, I'll give you an example, right? If you have $36 million, right? Like this, uh, the firm, who was it here? Um, ah, Arctos is the name of the firm that just invent, invested in Atalanta earlier today was announced. You don't have $36 million, it's not going to get you an MLS team, but it might get you a second division team. It might be enough to start a team in your community. Here, we don't see that. These teams can go over, these guys, spend their $30, $40 million, and they get a chunk of Serie A. I would rather see that money stay here in the you States. You would rather see that money. What mm -hmm. would an investor rather see? Return, <laughs> right? 
And that's yeah. your answer right there. You're not going to get a huge return in USL. You're not probably going to get mm. uh, access, especially for the dollar uh, amount that you want into Major League Soccer. That's why they go into these places like the Premier League or Serie A or whatever uh, the case may be. But for every case like this where you're looking for financial solvents, there's a reason for. Look at Bolton Wonders. You look at these teams like that that are going under uh, because of these bad financial decisions. If this is an investment, that's what they want to see a return and they want to see it viable. I always thought that the argument against or or for investing in MLS and against like opening things up and having promotion relegation is that the owners wanted it, right? They want security in their investment. But then we see all of these guys lining up to invest their money in an open system overseas. So I think maybe there's there's something to be thought of uh, down that lane in that conversation, but a conversation I'm sure, Herc, that we will continue uh, over the many coming months and years here on Football Americas. More Chelsea news now, this time on the field. Christian Pulisic started, played the full 90 minutes, and Herc racked up a pretty nice assist to Romelu Lukaku on Chelsea's second goal. Chelsea's match against Wolves ended in a 2-2 draw, but still a pretty good performance for the American. I thought it was very positive. Uh, He could have had another assist. Uh, He was involved in a few goals that were called back. I thought he was active playing in that number 10 role. He was good. Look at this nice little ball. Uh, He read it well, and then the goal. Let's hear from Thomas Tuchel, who had to talk about Pulisic after the match, and that tweet from Pulisic's dad. Of course, it's a normal thing, but like every manager, we have our reasons to, to choose for lineup and, and uh, we have our reasons to, to go for players in the first 11 and, and you will never see on this kind of level of, of competition happy, happy faces uh, from, from players who are not selected. Between me and Christian exists zero problem. He had a fantastic training week uh, so far. He has some, in some matches a huge impact from, from the bench and for him and for, for everybody else. And it has absolutely nothing to do with any tweet or any reaction from, from agents or fathers or, or whatever. Zero problems with Christian Pulisic, says Thomas Tuchel. Hurt, you buying it or are you telling him to get lost? No, I'm buying it. I'm not telling him to get lost here. He may have an issue with Mark Pulisic, his dad. He may not have thought it was the wisest thing to do, but with Christian Pulisic himself, I think there's zero issue. And I'm sure Christian Pulisic himself probably feels a little bit bad for it. This is an uncomfortable position for him. Uh, But I I don't think Thomas Tuchel himself will have issue with Christian Pulisic. Mm, I think it's uh, very, very interesting here on... uh on Christian Pulisic, the timing of all this. I mentioned it in the production meeting, you brushed me off as a Mariista, no? As somebody who's always looking for a headline. I just can't help but notice here the coincidence. Mark Pulisic tweets, then deletes the tweet about Christian Pulisic not playing. And the very next game, Thomas Tuchel starts him. I'm I'm not saying her, I'm just saying. What I am saying about the game is is Pulisic, we saw him finally playing in like a real true 10. Not, not in kind of the wide 10 where we've seen him before for Chelsea. He was definitely behind Werner and Lukaku and definitely ahead of everybody else. He played very centrally. I kind of agreed with you. I thought he played well, but I don't know if you heard the announcers. It was the world feed. At some point in the second half, they were criticizing the weight of his passes. Uh, how do you think about What do you think about that? I'm on the West Coast, so when I'm up, the kids are up while I'm watching this on ah. my phone. So I don't listen, but I do read the commentary online after, and that was a big sense of chatter. Listen, mm-hmm. people love to dump it on Christian Pulisic, and I'll go back to what you just said, okay? I will go back to what you said about Christian Pulisic. I was this coincidental or not. Kai Havertz plays. Christian Pulisic probably isn't going to play. They have a game on Wednesday versus Leeds, and then they're going to play the FA Cup uh, final uh, not too far uh, along these lines. So it's, it's common rotation. I don't think there was anything to it. 
Okay, uh, you mentioned the FA Cup. FA Cup final is coming up this weekend on ESPN+. Plus. Chelsea against Liverpool. Coverage starts at 11.45 a.m. Eastern time. Dan Thomas and the crew will be running things there from the ESPN FC studios. Other side of that Chelsea Wolves game is where we find Raul Jimenez, who also started and also played the full 90. He failed to score, had two shots, and his best chance came kind of late in the game, a half chance from outside the area. Herc for the season, Jimenez now has six goals in 31 Premier League appearances. He's not scoring for club, he's not really scoring for country. Is the problem the teams around Raul Jimenez, or is it Jimenez himself? It could be a little bit of both, but if I had to choose right now, I would say Jimenez himself. This is who Raul Jimenez has always been. Raul Jimenez had a ridiculous 18 plus months uh, when he first went to Wolves where we were comparing him with some of the best players in the world, some of the best nines in the world. But if you look at his time at Club America, he was never the man as far as the goal scorer was Christian Benitez. He goes to Atletico, he wasn't really given that opportunity. Benfica also wasn't really that goal scorer. It wasn't until he found his way to Wolves where he started being that very productive player. Goals, assists, pulling the strings, very good in the air. Then he had that unfortunate injury with David Luis, uh, and he's kind of come back to who he was before. Now, Wolves isn't a very good attacking team. They're not a great attacking team. It's who they are. They defend a lot. They play in transition. Maybe some of that isn't to his strengths. And the Mexican national team, El Tri, didn't necessarily knock it out the park with that three dent, their front three. It wasn't just Raul Jimenez suffering. It was also Chucky Lozano. It was also, it was also Tecatito Corona. Uh, so we have to take that with a grain of salt. But I do feel, honestly, this is who Raul Jimenez is. Mm. It's who he was, I'll agree with you, before the injury. But we have a, a pretty significant stretch just before the injury, the 18 months you, you, you acknowledge where he was a world-class elite striker. And I don't think we're seeing that player anymore. And I, I wonder if he's simply getting these opportunities because with Mexico, you know, Chicharito's been blacklisted. There are no other options, really. There, are no, there is nobody else to turn to, or at least that's what it seems like, especially when Rogelio Funes Mori had his chance and then didn't take it. You also look at Wolves. I don't think they really have an option, another option that's a clear number nine that they can turn to and, and that they feel they'd get results from. So almost by default, Herc, Raul Jimenez has kept getting chance after chance after chance. Here's the problem. Mexico can't go out and, and sign another striker in the summer. Maybe they could bring Chicharito back into the fold, but they can't go out and sign someone. Wolves can. And if Wolves wants to stay in the Premier League and, and make noise in the Premier League next year, they're going to need a whole lot more than six goals in 31 appearances from their every game starting pretty much number nine. So that's my worry for Raul Jimenez. If we're talking about the national team in the World Cup, there's no the way he's playing right now, I don't see any guarantee that he's going to be a starter. Yeah, in the they've also stripped that Wolves team bare. Jota, uh, Damatrari, they've, they've stripped it bare. Any, any type of player that he had helping him out at all is no longer there. All right, let's run it back. There was a Mexican that scored this weekend. It wasn't Raul Jimenez. It was a former America player, Edson Alvarez, huh? with a goal for Ajax late in their 2-2 draw against Asset, the third goal of the season for Edson Herc. Yeah, I believe all offset pieces as well. He's definitely an aerial threat. Ajax four points ahead of second place PSV with two games left in the season in Holland. Congratulations to Edson.
Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Lots of late action in Mexico this weekend as Liga Mekis held its repechaje round. There you see uh, all the drama. Let's recap it for you. We'll start with Cruz Azul, shall we? Who, uh, Herc, I guess we can just say narrowly avoided yet another Cruz Azulada. This one against Necaxa. Uh, they actually went up 1-0 early on. That's how it usually is for Cruz Azul. Uh, but then, in the 88th minute, they oh, no. gave up a goal that could have been trouble. Oh, no. Look at that. Oh, no. And then penalties. Oh, bury that. This is when you thought it was going to turn around. It's going to be Necaxa because they had momentum. But look at Jurado. Oh, he got him. He got him confessing. Yes. The much criticized on this show, Sebastián Jurado, coming up big. Rayados against Atlético San Luis. Oh, wow. What a game. Rayados actually late gets a 96th-minute equalizer, Herc, to tie things up at 2-2. Talking about momentum, uh, what happened to the momentum? Because in the penalty shootout, they scored just once, losing 3-1 against Atletico <laughs> okay, San Luis. I see you, and then look. Look at Rayados. Rayados doing what they do. That's Pizarro missing it there. And we, I think two people here on this panel said this would happen. <clears throat> Whatever. I don't know what you're talking about. Puebla, they went up 2-0. Early on in their game against Mazatlan, things were cruising, Herc, for your old team. Bajo, but things got dicey late. Mazatlan scoring a goal in the 37th minute to make it 2-1. And then late, we had the old goalie assist, Biconis, channeling his inner Moises Munoz. Yeah, and then, oh, Silva, one of the better goalkeepers right there. Marco Fabian misses it, and then, oh, roofs it. Well, I got lucky here. They got lucky. They blew a two-goal lead, squeaked it out in the end. They went 3-1 on penalties. The headliner, Chivas Pumas, on Sunday night in Guadalajara. This one got off to a, a good start for Chivas. They go up ahead 1-0. About eight minutes later, Pumas find an equalizer. But this all about the second half from Chivas, where Herc, they just caught fire goals from Nene Beltran, JJ Macias, and finally, Alexis Vega. Chivas, four to one winners over Pumas. All right, Herc, we got some lingering questions from the repechaje. Alexis Vega dominated Pumas. Is he the best player right now in Liga Mekis? No. No. Why you laugh? Why you laugh? Stop insulting the good no. Alexis Vega. Le, 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 Alexis Vega is in a very good moment. Um, he's, he's doing this playmaker thing he had going on previously, right before he went to mm-hmm. the Olympics, where he's in that great moment. Before he was injured, that high ankle sprain, and he's back to it. But best player in Liga Mekis, Andre Pierre Gignac. Andre Pirinac is still the best player in Liga Mekis. And if I have to think, like, who's the most promising young player that I think is the best player? Like, best player, young player? Germán Berterrame, who who plays for San Luis. He's 23 years of age, and I think he's a better player than Alexis Vega. Uh, Alexis Vega is the best Mexican player Mm -hmm. today. I mean, who else are we going to throw out there? Uh, Memo Choa? That's about because he's got a good moment right now. I mean, they've not had a goal scored on him in the last, what, five, six games? That's about it. 
Uh, but as far as best player in the league, no, there's still a ways to go for Alexis Vega. Yeah, no doubt about it, though. I think he is right now the best Mexican uh, player in the league. We see him dominating, playing exceptionally well. Um, I, it's interesting. I was texting our producer, Beto, while we were watching this game. I was like, not that he's playing bad, just does he look hurt? And he's like, no, he just he, he plays a little bit like Quao. He walks around a little bit like Quao, like um, almost like a, like a limp or like a slowness to him. But the passing, the precision was, was all there in this game against Pumas. The big story with Alexis Vega late, of course, is the the contract extension that's going to keep him at Chivas through the end of 2023. And if he is the best player in Liga Meki, Cirque, at this age, which is 24, I would suggest he should be going to Europe. Are you worried like me that now with this contract he'll get trapped? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I think that's the most... I think that's the... The producer's trying to tell us it's a formality, uh, <laughs> and, and it is around the world. Usually when a player re-signs, that mm -hmm. means he's going to get sold. Uh, they're trying to demand more money. I don't think this is the case for Alexis Vega. Uh, Pizarro was there till he was 26, and they asked for like $20 million for him uh, mm -hmm. in, the, in the Spanish market. I know that the market may have corrected itself, but if he just re-signs and he's going to pay him three times what he was going to make or what he was already making, what do you think they're going to try selling him for? At 24 years of age, I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, he's 24 now. When the contract expires, he'll be uh, 26. Transfer market right now has him valued $8 million. Never know how, um, how exact um, those are. One bit of good news, he does have the same agent as Diego Lainez, Santi Munoz, and Eugenio Pisotto, who you remember was another young guy who went over there. So uh, maybe it's an agent who can help in Alexis Vega facilitate the move to Europe. All right, enough about Chivas. What about Rayados? And yes, two people on the panel did say that Rayados were going to be in trouble. Um, Herc, what is the biggest reason for Rayados bombing out against Atletico San Luis and, and other than me and the fact that I picked them? Because that clearly had, had something to do with it. You mean besides the fact that they're chokers? Uh, besides that reason, um, it's got to be the construction of this team. Mm -hmm. Because if we pick apart talent on this team, enormous amount of talent. You don't spend that much money, the wealthiest roster in all of Mexican football, and not have talented players. The thing with Rayado is, Rayado, excuse me, is they accumulate talent to have talent. They don't build a roster. They don't build a team. So you have all these great players who don't fit together. How can it be that Diego Alonso was there? Same results. Turco Mohamed was there? Same results. Javier Aguirre. Probably the best Mexican uh, coach out there was there. Same results. And now Victor Manuel Bucetich. And what happened? Same results. Same old rayados, pecho frios, choke artists. This is what happens when you don't build a team. Comparing the Alonso and Turco eras to what we've seen with Aguirre and Bucetich, I think is a stretch, right? It's been a, a notable downturn since Aguirre took over outside of maybe the, the CONCACAF Champions League run, right? There was at least some titles. There was at least some, some competitiveness back in the day. I feel like we've, we've seen them drop off, off, off an entire cliff here with Aguirre. And now with Bucetich, how much of this are you putting on Bucetich? No, wasn't he the, the golden touch, the Midas touch? What happened to him here? Hey, not my Midas touch, not my golden touch, but he did inherit this roster. A lot of these moves aren't his moves, so I'll give him the benefit of the doubt here. That said, Seb, you can go back and say it's a stretch to compare it to Turco Mohamed and Diego Alonso days, but it's the same philosophy. You're acquiring players, you're acquiring talent, you aren't building a team. Okay, uh, move on from Rayados to a team that did survive the Repechaje weekend, that is Cruz Azul, and when I survive, I mean... Just, just getting by against Jimmy Lozano's Necaxa, who I also believe you picked I did. Uh, potentially to advance or at least trouble Cruz Azul. So did. what do we believe about Cruz Azul here? Are they a contender to win it all or are they a pretender? 
They're a pretender, man. I, I can think of no team that is pretending more than this Cruz Azul team. Equipo grande. And I love Cruz Azul and what they've done in the story after so many years. But their leading goal scorer is a defender, is Escobar. They've scored in the last five games two goals. Four league games, one conquer champions, two goals. They don't have a Cabasita Rodriguez anymore, Jonathan Rodriguez. They don't have a goal scorer. They're a team that relied heavily on a player like Charlie Rodriguez, who could have a shout for best Mexican player right there with Alexis Vega if he wasn't injured, and he is injured. Jurado comes in in goal. It's no Chuy Corona. They are struggling. This is a team that has one win in the last eight games. I can think of no bigger pretender in Mexican football today than Cruz Azul. Mm. Yeah, they sold Cabecita for what? Six, seven million dollars to Saudi Arabia yeah. and haven't so far uh, not been able to replace him. You don't replace goals, you're always going to be in trouble. Another thing that's a sign of trouble for them, in the next round, they're playing Tigres. So when you talk about contender, pretender, yes, a lot true. of it has to do, a lot of it has to do, Herc, with the draw. Speaking of the draw, let's take a look at the bracket then for the quarterfinals, which you know are now set down in Liga. MX. There you see the four matchups. Pachuca against San Luis, Tigres Cruz Azul, Atlas against Chivas. Ooh, Clásico Tapatio there. And America against Puebla. A lot of folks down in Mexico, Herc, are looking at that bracket and they're saying, oh, America has the easy path, the easiest path to the title. First of all, do you agree with that? Does America have the easiest path out of anybody left? Yeah, I mean, if you can avoid Tigres and Pachuca, who are the two strongest teams uh, throughout the course of this regular season, yes. And also because they're going to play against Puebla, Mi Pueblita. Uh, mm -hmm. Puebla's won once in the last nine games. Once in the last nine games. Puebla versus America, historically, America is undefeated in the last nine games versus this Puebla. This America team happens to be on the up. There is no hotter team in all Mexican football than this America team. Uh, probably Chivas, but they've had it going on for longer. Uh, when Solari left, they played better. And they're going to play against a Puebla team who blew a two-goal lead at home versus Mazatlan. Not exactly brimming with confidence, if you will. America is. They defend better. They attack better. They're more disciplined. There's more harmony within that group. They're the clear favorites uh, in that side of the bracket. All right, so you say they've got the easiest path. You say they're the hottest team. Forget that side of the bracket. Overall, are they favorites to win the title? Absolutely not. Not when you have Pachuca and Tigres still around. If you have Tigres still around, that will be the favorite. At some point, if they're still around, Andre Pierre Gignac comes back, and they are overwhelming favorites. Hercules Gomez showering Club America with praise. I knew, I knew it was too good to be true. Let's check out what the computers say about Liga MX East. Who do they see as the favorites? The oh, SPI has Tigres at 27%, just a couple percentage points ahead of Club America coming in there at 25. Pachuca and Atlas round out your top four favorites to win the Liga MX East title. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. All right, Herc, let's turn our attention to the NWSL Challenge Cup Final this weekend in Cary, North Carolina. Washington Spirit against the North Carolina Courage. Look at this opening goal, Herc, from North Carolina. Debinho, what a move 
on Kelly O'Hara running the break and a perfect pass to Carolyn who finishes it off. A perfect pass, but we've been saying it, Seb. I was telling you, I was texting you that high line, that high line's gonna kill him, and it did. This is a sweet little finish though. Look at that, Megzer. North Carolina Courage taking a 1-0 lead early on. They almost made it two here in the 13th minute, if not for a huge save hook from Aubrey Kingsbury. Yeah, it tells you something when Aubrey Kingsbury was the MVP in the semifinal, and early on in this final, it makes herself big, huge paw there. Washington finally getting the equalizer, making it look easy. Trinity Rodman, Ashley Hatch, 1-1. That's how they're gonna hurt you, right? That front three, great movement, good little ball in behind, and then dagger right there. Hatch, six goals in the Challenge Cup. The Challenge Cup's top score. Controversy here in the second half. Carolyn in behind. Sam Staub coming through with the challenge. No foul called, Herc. Should it have been a penalty? What controversy? This is a red card and a penalty. Could have broke her. Ridiculous challenge. Carolyn would leave the game injured. However, North Carolina courage maybe ball don't lie here. An own goal against the Washington Spirit on the ensuing corner, Herc. Yeah, ball don't lie in Kingsbury. Look at this, she ends up crashing with the post, does her best. A little bit of ping pong action there, but it's all courage. Scary moment here in second half stoppage time. Big collision between Jordan Baggett and Davinia. Baggett laid out on the field, lots of concern from her teammates and the staff, and then this is the image that a lot of folks are talking about, Herc, the Spirit players having to help the medical staff get over to treat their teammate. Yeah, Spirit players obviously shook, and what a sight. In the end, North Carolina Courage win, it's two to one, and they are your Challenge Cup champions. For more, we welcome in Julie Foudy. She is, of course, an Olympic gold medalist, a World Cup winner, a co-owner of Angel City FC, but her most important title <laughs> is mom. Happy Mother's Day, That's Julie right. Fowley. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Of I had a course. fun Mother's Day. I got to go see Angel City, although it was a little bit of a loss to, to Orlando, but that's okay. A little bit of a loss, but still a, a great crowd nonetheless. What, something like 17,000, 18,000 in attendance for that one. Let's talk about this final, though, um, Julie, because on the show last week, everybody, everybody, we were all in, all of us picking the Washington spirit. How did the North Carolina Courage do it? This is the first loss for the spirit <laughs> in almost eight months. Yeah, I know. It was that. And then on top of that, you know, the, the conversation that coming into Challenge Cup and into this season had been all the change for the Courage. I mean, no Lynn Williams, no Jessica McDonald, no Sam Buis. I mean, that's just to name three on that roster. But I think how they did it is we see one of our next stars of NWSL and Caroline, the Brazilian young star next to Dabinha had her way. I mean, it could have been more in that first half. I think Ordonez as well on that right side gives him a lift. As Herc pointed out, that should have been a penalty kick on top of that. I think obviously North Carolina goes away as the winner and should have been the winner. Um, but I think there is a lot of upside to that North Carolina team that a lot of people aren't talking about. Well, I'm looking at this game and I'm seeing missed calls, no VAR, um, injuries, the way the injuries are treated. Uh, I'm also seeing the small crowds. Uh, what can be done so these things don't distract from what is great on-field product, Julie? Uh, okay, how many, how many hours do we have for this conversation? <laughs> I, I think the most important thing, Herc, is you make the on-field storylines the priority. So better referees. 
paying them more, taking care of the referees more, taking care of the players more, and protecting them, protocols and procedures in place that do that, which has been a huge topic of conversation for the NWSL for over a year, for many years, I would argue. Um, and then scheduling on top of that, you know, going back to back, overlapping the Challenge Cup with the season is a tough slog. You see tired legs, you see tired players, and we know what happens when that goes on, on top of the heat and humidity. And so I think you create a situation that's ripe for injury, unfortunately, and isn't protecting the players. And those are the topics that should be discussed, right? We talk about the chaos of the NWSL. The chaos should not be in that injury and player protection are happening, sorry, players not being protected are happening too much. Yeah, I mean, you talk about it, and that was a really, for me, a really good final in the first half. Finals are usually closed and, and very defensive, not teams taking risks. That first half was, was awesome soccer, and yet here we are kind of talking about the other things. It is worth noting, I think, some of the good stuff we saw. The new sponsorship, uh, UKG, coming in, that's going to mean $10,000 for the players that, that won <laughs> on the North Carolina Courage, an extra $5,000 for the players on the Washington Spirit. That might not sound to people like a lot of money, but we've talked about the finances in NWSL before. The league minimum, I think, is even this year is still only 35000 yeah. So an extra 5000 or an extra 10000 could go a long way. And, and there are some, some significant signs of growth, I think, there for, uh, for the NWSL, even if maybe some of the main topics, Julie, the main takeaways from this are the negatives that people were maybe yeah. focusing on after the game. Go ahead. I was just going to say the one thing Mitch Purse told me in the preseason uh, when I was spending a little time with her. She said first thing she wrote on the whiteboard with Gotham was 10K is what she wrote. She said that's all I put on the whiteboard. Just a reminder to every player that's what we get if we win the Challenge Cup. So it does matter for sure. Absolutely. Uh, Challenge Cup certainly a, a good addition to the NWSL and hopefully a tournament that will continue to grow in stature as the league grows. The Challenge Cup, though, as you mentioned, Julie, it overlaps with the regular season. So we also had some regular season games to pay attention to this weekend. And we had an amazing performance from Alex Morgan in the San Diego Waves 4-0 victory over Gotham FC. Not one, not two, not three. Perk, four goals for Alex Morgan in the first ever regular season home game for San Diego. Poker! Poker, that's a poker right there. Uh, Alex Morgan, four goals. You gotta be kidding me. When we talk about youth, uh, the youth that's coming up for Vlaco, she won't go away. Nope. I don't know, I don't know what we're gonna do now. I have no <laughs> idea what's gonna happen. Did it on her uh, daughter Charlie's birthday as well, so that's special. She's just the third player in league history to score four goals. So four goals for Alex Morgan over the weekend, Julie, to go along with the four goals that she scored in the Challenge Cup. She is red hot. Uh, despite all the hype that we hear about names like Hatch and Macario, is Alex Morgan right now still the best American number nine in the pool? Well, what's interesting is she's scoring a lot of these goals when she's playing on the left side. She's not playing in the nine when she's scoring these goals. She's playing as a winger on that left side and having a ton of success. So you could argue, is she the best left winger the United States has right now? We've been seeing Mal Pugh play on that side. Sometimes, of, co of course, Sophia Smith slides over on that side. But clearly, Alex Morgan gives you a versatility with her able to play out wide, with her able to play in the nine where she can get in behind defenses uh, more than a Katarina Macario can. Uh, obviously, Kat Macario is going to connect a little bit. 
But that versatility in her saying to Vlatko, which I think is very clear right now, like you, I am not done. I am still here. Pay attention because uh, she is wanting to get back on that national team. No question. But I think that it's showing a lot that she's doing this all from the left side. Most of her goals, those, I think three of the four came from the left side in the Challenge Cup as well. Julie, I hadn't really thought of that possibility of Alex Morgan moving out of the number nine for the U.S. women's national team and playing as a winger. How likely do you think it is that we actually see that under Vladko Anonofsky? I think it's likely. I, I do. I mean, I think she obviously has the versatility to do that. She has the pace to do that. She's much more of a slasher, obviously. And then you can't see Katarina Macario going out on the wing as much. She wants to stay more central. She wants to tuck in. She wants to play a false nine often. So I think you could see Alex Morgan out on one of the wings. Obviously, the left side is where she's been playing with San Diego and where we've seen her some with the national team, but I do think it's a possibility. I would not discount anything right now. And this is all stuff that once they get and layer a few of those veterans back in and you see them against some good competition, I think that's the other key, is they haven't been playing teams that are really going to push them or opponents that are. That's when everything is going to come out. All right, Julie, as always, great stuff. A happy Mother's Day to Alex Morgan. A happy Mother's Day to Julie Foudy as well. Great to have you with us here on the show. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Julie. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, Eric, time for some Major League Soccer, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Why don't we start with the good? Montreal, who extend their club record unbeaten streak with a 4-1 victory over Orlando. Jordi Mihailovic keeps on scoring. I know I'm supposed to talk about their record being extended, seven-game unbeaten streak. It's Montreal. Let me talk about Montreal, but I can't. I got to talk about Jordi Mihailovic. Five goals, three assists for the 23-year-old. Like your boy said would happen in bold predictions before the season started, he would be in that MVP race. He's in the MVP race, and he's got to be there in June for Greg Berhalter and the U.S. men's national team. Montreal rolling right along right now. Third place in Major League Soccer's Eastern Conference. <clears throat> what about the bad, Herc? I thought this was just going to be about Chicharito's miss in the LA Galaxy's 1-0 win over Austin FC. But no, you say it's about the Galaxy offense as a whole. Yeah. Look at this. Uh, if you had, <laughs> oh, it happened. Show the rest of the play. Okay, Douglas. Okay, Douglas Costa. Show Marky Delgado scoring the goal. Okay. But look at this from Chicharito. It happens. You got to get there in that position. You know what I say. Don't worry if you're missing. Well, you're not getting the opportunity to miss. Here's the thing. Only 11 goals for the LA Galaxy. That is not great. It's one of the worst offenses in Major League Soccer. The likes of LAFC and Austin have double that output. When you have players like Chicharito Hernandez, Douglas Costa, you can't have that. But defensively, wait, one of the best in the league. Elsewhere in the Western Conference, Sporting Kansas City now on a six-game winless streak, just one victory for Sporting in their last nine. 
Yeah, I mean, what do we expect? This offense has sputtered. I mean, only Chicago and Vancouver have scored fewer goals in all of Major League Soccer. Injuries to important players have also hurt Peter Vermes' team. I mean, DP injuries. Alan Pulido, Gadi Kinda, uh, I get it, but still, phew, you expect more out of Peter Vermes' team. 0-0 against New York City leaves them 12th in the conference. Just two wins from their first 11 games for sporting Kansas City. Lots of Major League Soccer on your screens this weekend. Doubleheader on Sunday, Atlanta United against the New England Revolution. That one starts at 2 p.m. Eastern time. And then at 4 p.m. Eastern time, the CONCACAF Champions League winner, Seattle Sounders against Minnesota United FC. Kirk, what about these reports out of Mexico that Liga Mekis will suspend promotion relegation through the year 2026? Of course, a couple years ago, they suspended it for five years. It's really just pushing it back another year. Also reports that the sale of first division franchises is being considered as a real possibility. Sounds like they're taking the MLS playbook. Are you cool with it, Herc? Liga Mekis turning into their neighbors to the north. No, I, I loved what Liga Mekis used to be about when they had Pro Rel. Mm -hmm. The opportunity to not buy your way to first division, but win your way or lose your way from what is first division football. It was one of the best things about uh, Liga Mekis. The possibilities of seeing teams like La, La Paz or seeing the Cholos become the Cholos they are today. Uh, seeing those teams like Dorados or Necaxa win their way up to first division. Now you're trying to tell me that highest bidder gets a franchise? How many investors are even lining up to buy or invest in Liga MX? It's not like there's a line for these. That's why you see multi-propiedad. You see these multi-owned teams uh, and then actually they're more of the successful teams. I, I don't understand it. It's losing its essence. It's losing what made Liga MX great. And now it seems like the only punishment you have for not being good is you get a fine. I mean, and on top of that, you've got no incentive to really fight for first division because you're guaranteed it and it was just gonna be a fine and you don't develop young domestic players it's like a double whammy there yeah you know me i'm never gonna be cool with this i'm never gonna be anything that cool with anything that closes the system or takes away promotion and relegation i think when you close the system as they're effectively talking about doing here you are going to benefit some people right the people who already are there the people who are already in the first division really i'm thinking of the owners but I don't think it's beneficial for Mexican football as a whole. Same thing I would say for American soccer as a whole, right? I don't think having that power concentrated in just a small group of owners is good. You should have some competition. You should have people pushing other people. At least, Turk, even if there's no descenso, even if there's no relegation, at least there is a, a fine, right? What was the fine for Toluca this year? Like $1.2 million? We don't even have that in MLS. No, you... I mean, what, are you going to find yourself? You pull the wins <laughs> and the losses. What are you going to just... Hey, well, here you go. You know, like out of the pot, I guess. <laughs> yep, just moving money from uh, from one pile to the other. All right, uh, what about CONCACAF Champions League? We just wrapped it up, and now we have the best 11, a hodgepodge of Seattle and Pumas players. I think they mixed in, what? whoa, just one. Just uh, Diaz Magno, the Brazilian from New York City FC. Herc, what do you think about this best 11? You cool with it? I mean, it could use a little bit more Seattle, um, if I'm being honest. <laughs> But where, where, where is, if you're going to, if who, anybody. Who, who from Seattle are you putting on and taking off then? Go ahead. Freddie Montero. I mean. Okay. Yeah, take off Thaddeus Magno uh, if, you, if you'd like. Uh, if you're going to put anybody who's not Seattle or Pumas related, it should be a Tati Castellanos, no? 
I sure. don't really get the tightest Magno, whatever there. Uh, Mosso was good. I, you know, Alex Roldan, I thought definitely was very good throughout this tournament. Uh, and the rest is, you know, Seattle <laughs> pretty much through and through. This is what you expect when you route everybody at home, yeah. when you're undefeated throughout the whole competition, when you've got a great defensive team, and you happen to be the highest scores, uh, goal scoring offensive team. So it's pretty much to what I expected. Signs a few players, too. That's, that's it, right? Seattle, if we're being honest, dominated this tournament. So they should dominate the, the all-tournament team. What I thought about when I saw this 11 was, it's not necessarily a reflection of the best 11 player. It's a very good 11, but of the best 11 players in CONCACAF. Whereas if you did like a European Champions League best 11, I think you would have a pretty fair reflection of who the best players there are. Um, I, I don't know if that's, a ref, uh, if that's just down to the fact that maybe the best teams mm. aren't getting to this. I know who. Um, who? Ruznak. Ah, there's the other one. So, yeah. but you got, but wait a second, if you put Ruznak and you got to take a sounder out of that midfield, so who are you taking out? Ah, change the formation. I don't take it, no. I'll get no? him, yeah. <laughs> Magno we're gonna have out, a, we're playing hey, a 4-4-2. Four, four, uh, we're gonna play a 4-4-4, four, a four, four, four. We're just, just so we four, can get as many four, sounders, two. just so we can get as many four, sounders as four, possible. 2 In Do the CONCACAF formations? Champions League best 11. <laughs> A full, uh, four, four, a full two, one, Sounders three. TV edition. Lodato up, Ruznak in that double six like he happens to play for the Sounders. It was dominated by the Sounders. That's all you need to know. Parting shot, MASL, Herc. The San Diego Soccers pick up the 16th title in franchise history. They beat the Florida Tropics 4-3 to win the 2022 Ron Newman Cup on Sunday. That's a sick goal. Uh, my San Diego Soccers, if yes. anybody didn't know, I played for the San Diego Soccers that same year they folded. I still got my five goals in 10 games. Very historic San Diego Soccers, a lot of great players. Look at that, that's where they belong. Champions. Absolutely, great stuff. Do you still have your San Diego Soccers gear, any of it? I think I do. I think Look I at that. Okay, I'm sure Some we'll see that. Some of the greatest players played San Diego soccer, played indoor soccer. We'll see that soon here on Football Americas. We've got a special announcement, Herc. Some breaking news here about Wednesday on ESPN+. Plus. In case you don't know, the Open Cup round of 32 is this week. We got six games on Tuesday, but we got a 10-game spectacular on Wednesday. And for that day, we are going to be doing an exclusive on ESPN+. Plus whip around show the action starts at 6 30 p.m eastern time that's when the first game start a few minutes before that we'll be going live and we will be taking you through all six and a half seven hours of games Ooh. on wednesday through those games that start at even 10 30 p.m eastern time or get some sleep tomorrow get some sleep huh you're welcome you're welcome america you're yes. welcome can you think yes. we get kyle beckerman on here Wow, speaking of Open Cup legends, we definitely need some uh, Kyle Beckerman. Kyle Beckerman would also remind you to uh, listen to the Football Americas podcast. Download that wherever you get your pods.